It's funny how the greatest stories of all copy and mimic portions of this, but this is the narrative of mankind. This is, this is God telling the story. All the other stories point at different parts and, and pull on different strings, but this is the story, God's story of humanity. And I pray that you would bless the telling of the story. I pray that our hearts would be wide open, God, wide open. And I pray this in Jesus' name and for your glory. And everybody said, amen. You guys, I need my notes. You may be seated this morning. God bless you as you do that. We're just going to continue in this vein for another moment or two. I want to share some things with you. We're going to come back and enjoy communion. How many of you guys like the Christmas story? Is it good? I, I mean, I, my heart, like, I, I love the thought that all the way from Genesis chapter 3, where God says, you know, um, the serpent, you're cursed. You know, woman, this is your consequence. Man, this is your consequence. But there's this, there's this redemptive red thread that goes through the story. Where he says, there's, there's one that will be coming after, and, you know, you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush the serpent's head. Right? Like, right from the very beginning, we get this hint that it's not going to stay like this forever. You go through Exodus, and now there's the Passover lamb where something innocent and spotless is executed and blood is used for the purpose of marking the doorposts of Israel's homes or the, the destruction that, that was for everybody. It, it passed over some because there was blood that, that was a sign, like these people are walking in faith. They're in covenant with God. And you go on to all the, the tabernacle and the feasts and the temples. And about 700 years before the birth of Jesus, there's this guy named Isaiah that gets this vision, this dream, and hears this voice. And it's God speaking. And, he, and he, he writes down what he hears. And unto you a child is born. Unto you a Savior is given. To be born of a virgin. Um, chapter 53, it's, he'll be wounded for your transgressions and bruised for iniquities. He'll... He'll uh, give you great peace because someone's going to just beat him, body, soul, and spirit. They're going to scream and spit and punch, and, and by his stripes, everybody that believes will be healed. It's just, it's this beautiful redemptive story. And then one night, 700-ish years after that's written, an angel named Gabriel appears to a young girl named Mary. And how many of you guys know that as beautiful as the Christmas story is and the manger scenes and the angels on the light poles, how many of you guys would just absolutely freak out if all of a sudden this giant being of authority and light just stood in front of you? And they have this, this conversation where he says, you know, Mary, you're awesome. You know, you found favor with God. Be at peace. And she's wondering, am I in, is this like, am I in trouble? And, and he says, you found favor with God. You're going to become pregnant. And the child that you bear is going to be called the Savior of the world. He's going to be called God with us, Emmanuel. And she goes, that's, that's cool and all, but I've lived on the farm long enough to know where babies come from. And I'm like 13 years old, 14 years old. Like I, I'm, I'm engaged. My, my family and his family have arranged a marriage to a guy named Joseph, but that hasn't happened yet. So how will I give birth to the Messiah? And the angel, just using human language, tries to describe the divine mystery the divine mystery. He just simply says this, God's going to do it. God is going to immaculately conceive inside of you his son. 
It's not going to be flesh. It's not going to be blood. It's not going to be... It's, it's, what it's going to be is something the world has never seen before because God is taking on flesh. He's going to have to come through the womb like every other man because he's going to have to face every other sin like every other person. And yet he has to defeat it all and not be defeated by any of it. And so God has chosen you. The millions of young ladies that could be qualified to do this right now, God looked at you and said, she has my favor. And then... You know, several months later, it's time for the, the baby to come. But at the same time, Caesar Augustus says there should be a tax of the whole known world. And so Joseph, her betrothed husband, has to go back to Bethlehem because he's one of the great, 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 great grandchildren of King David. And that's where his city was to be counted. So Caesar Augustus wants to give taxes. How many guys know the IRS is nothing new? There have always been evil people in charge of things, you know. And, uh, and I shouldn't say that on the Internet, should I? I love the IRS. The time we spent together recently has been glorious. <laughs> and uh, I said to my auditor the other day, well, hey, I'll see you around. She goes, oh, I hope you don't. I'm like, yeah, never mind. Bad thing to say to your auditor. I never want to see you again. And so they go to this city, and, and the time comes for Mary to give birth. And I don't really know, archaeologically speaking, how this works. Some people have speculated that where Jesus was born was like a grotto, like a cave. Some people have speculated that it was maybe the lower level of a home where the families lived above, like the inn, the, the house where people were staying, you know, in Bethlehem. But that was all full. So they had to stay on the lower level where the animals are. Some people have speculated it's a freestanding barn like you'd see in your nativity scene. And nobody really knows. It's all speculation as far as the specifics go. But we do know this, that in the fullness of time, Mary gave birth to the Son of God. And because it wasn't like the nursery scene of the wealthy, it was like the birthing suite of, you know, some organized event. It just, he was laid in a feed trough. I don't know if somebody doesn't know that, but they think of the manger. The manger scene is like the barn and the animals. The mangers actually have a feed trough. It's, it's in the shape of a cradle, but it, it cradles, um, you know, grass and straw and grain for the animals. It's covered in, you know, saliva. I don't know if you guys know, but cows walk up to a manger and they put their face in it and they stand up and they eat and they eat and they, they, they guard their territory. I don't know if you've ever seen a, a cow eat, but it ain't pretty. And they're grinding and stuff's falling out. Then they're regurgitating out of their seven stomachs and they're grinding it up some more, chewing their cud and back again. So Jesus was not laid into a, a marble palace and a gold-lined cradle. Jesus was laid into something that smelled very much like Grandma's farm that we all visited as kids. And that was the beginning of the rest of time, literally split from B.C. to A.D., I love that it's simple shepherds out in the field watching their flocks and all of a sudden an angel appears and says, you know, it's time to all freak out. And they all freak out and says, no, unto you a Savior's been born in the city of David in Bethlehem. A Savior, it's Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign unto you. You're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a feed trough. And after the angel says that, a host of angels show up and they start singing, you know, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill to all men. And then they go and they find the baby just as the angel had told them. And then I love that there's magi, wise men. Uh, they come from the east, from Persia. They've followed a star that told them that some great event was taking place, that a king was going to be born. And, and they follow and they find Jesus and they bring him gold and frankincense and myrrh and I, I love all of that. I, and it's kind of like, and that's, the, and that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. 
the end. But the problem with the story, as I've told it today, is simply this. It's all about what happened. I think the greatest question of Christmas is not what happened, but it's why. Why, why all this stuff? Why all the prophecies? Why, why centuries of preparation? Why at that moment? Why Mary? Why, why did God have to take on flesh and dwell among us? And I, what's the motivation behind it? And we find that in John chapter 3. And, and you have to hear this, because if all you get is the what of Christmas, then I can see where Santa Claus, I can see where Walmart, I can see where Target, I can see where retail and wrapping paper and the $1 trillion we will spend as a nation on Christmas. I, I see it all. But if you miss why, you miss what we're actually celebrating. The fact that God loves you and I to this extent that he would send his son that way to experience everything we'll experience and yet never experience the defeat that we experience on a day-to-day -day basis. Face every temptation until it's defeated. Quote the word of God on the devil's face. Deny himself. Pray in the garden because he doesn't want to go and take on the sins of the world. He doesn't want to be crucified. But in that, that moment of submitting himself, it's not my will. I'm not here to, to please me. I'm here to please you. He sets this beautiful, eternal example. And when he dies, he dies as the perfect substitute, the, the perfect replacement, the, the perfect, what theologians call propitiation. He is as us. We are as him. Only he is perfect. And he dies in our place and pays a debt that he doesn't owe to pay a debt that we couldn't pay. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Do you see that up there? That's not Jim's opinion. That's not some sort of milk toast version of Christianity. That's not, you know, what so many have grown to criticize. And I just don't understand how they could miss the love of God and that God didn't send his son to condemn. If God didn't send his son to condemn, then people that represent God shouldn't go to the world to condemn them either. We should go with the same love that sent Jesus to this world. So we find ourselves in this beautiful narrative, this beautiful story that, that makes everything make sense. Whatever happened to you, no matter how dreadful, no matter what you did, no matter how awful, no matter what you've been through, no matter how painful, God has the ability to redeem it all. Not sending us to condemn, but to rescue and to save. So why? Why did Jesus come that night? Because he loves you. And I wish I had a better explanation than that. I wish that I had a poet. I wish that I had a, a, a lyricist. I wish that I had some hallelujah chorus where, you know, we, we all would feel that truth. But I, I'm telling you, whatever man can do to make you feel that truth pales in comparison to an instant of the Holy Spirit just showing you. And I know that that love is different than the love that we experience on this earth. I know that it's not like the love of a man or the love of a woman. I know it's not like the love of a father even to, to a child or a mother to a child. I know it's greater than that. My love, because of my temper, because of my pride, because of my ambition, because of my frailties, because of my experiences, my, my love fails. I, I love, I'm patient, I'm kind, I'm gentle, but then you tick me off. I, I keep no record of wrongs until it benefits me in a debate. And all the men giggle. That's interesting. No, no female giggles in the room today, you know. It's just one of those things like I, I love until it becomes taxing. God loves no matter what because God doesn't love as what he does. God loves because that's who he is. First John 4 chapter 8 says that God is love. First Corinthians chapter 13, Paul's trying to describe to us the characteristics of, of love and thereby the characteristics of God. He says, you know, love is patient. God is patient. 
Love is kind. God is kind. Love is gentle. God is gentle. He's not proud. He's not rude. He's not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. He can get angry. Read the Old Testament. Right? But he's not easily angered. God's only angry when his anger is what stops us from continuing to destroy ourselves. Keeps no record of wrongs. As far as the east is from the west, he removes our sins from us. Always protects. Always trusts. Always perseveres. Always hopes. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 says, love never fails. God never fails. He never fails in loving us. Why did Jesus come that night? Because God loves us. I think a better explanation is this. When God looked into eternity, we weren't there. There's something about love that wants you near. Some of you guys are getting ready to celebrate Christmas and family's coming from far and wide and you want to be close with family. What's funny is January 3rd, you know, the, the bowl games are over with, the, the turkey sandwiches are gone, the, everybody's back to work. It isn't like, oh, I miss Billy, I miss mom, I miss grandma on January 3rd, but on December 25th, there's something about being together. Some of you guys are looking forward to it. Some of you guys are saying, this is going to be the hardest December 25th of my life. Because every other December 25th had his face at the table. She was there every other December 25th my entire life. This will be the first December 25th that our family is no longer a family. You, you know what it is to want to be with people that you love. You know the pain when that's destroyed. God looked in eternity and he saw December 25th and the 26th and the 27th for eternity that didn't have your face at the table. God is not subject to the confines of space and time. He created them. They serve him. He doesn't serve them. Does that make sense? So if all existence is in space and time in a bubble, God exists outside that bubble, and he can enter and exit at any point, any place, any time. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the ever-existing God. And so when he looked into forever and your face wasn't there, he just said, that's unthinkable. That's not right. And something has to change. So what did he do? He did everything that could be done to set us free. Everything that could be done to set us free. I've never fought God for his forgiveness. I fought myself to forgive myself. But I've never fought God to forgive me. I've never fought with God to make me clean I never fought with God for a fresh start or a clean slate ever in my life. I'm 53. Maybe that day will come, but, but right now it seems like every time I'm just done with it and I turn around, God's waiting there for me as if he's following me into the darkness that I was running from him into. God is better to me than I've ever been to myself. <laughs> he did everything. So what's the everything? Isaiah says in chapter 53, verse 5, that Jesus, this perfect sacrifice, God's son, birth through a virgin, laid in a manger, that he was wounded for my transgressions. The outward acts of my disobedience before a holy God have to be judged. If God's not holy, then he can look the other way. But if God is holy, he has to judge unholiness. If, if, if you have a, a child that you love and they do something dangerous, a good parent has to judge that act and protect their child. You have to step in. A good judge that presides 
uh, in legal proceedings over uh, on a bench and a criminal comes before him goes, you know, I like the way you look, don't worry about it, just don't kill anybody else. A good judge, I say, what's the law, what's the crime, what's the sentence? And so God sees the laws of perfection, he sees the crimes of humanity, he sees the sentence that's coming our way and he sends Jesus and blood flows outwardly from a crucified body to cover the outward acts of my willful disobedience. He's also bruised for my iniquities. The Bible says um, the word bruised means to be crushed, like a grape is, is squeezed and there's internal damage. It's not like it just pours out, but it, it just gets liquefied on the inside. Membranes that hold the grape juice inside of it rupture like pulp in, a, in an orange. You can juice an orange without breaking the skin by just destroying the pulp. And that's the word that's used. It talks about his bruise for iniquity. So blood flowed inwardly for my inward, for our inward tendency to continue to sin. I don't know about you, but when I gave my life to Jesus, I, I didn't stop liking brownies. When I gave my life to Jesus, the struggles of my flesh didn't disappear. They dissipated, but they didn't disappear. Does that make sense? Jesus in my life just gave me a nice fair choice. I could prefer him or I could go back to my old ways. And I, I, that inward tendency to continue to sin, there's a sacrifice that's been made for that. Peace. There's a sacrifice that's been made so we can walk in peace. There's a sacrifice that's been made so that we can walk in healing of body, soul, and spirit. Why did Jesus come that night? Because he loves us. Because when he looked into eternity, you weren't there. So he did everything that could be done. There's only one last thing to be done, and that is on your end, no longer on his. When someone has forgiven you, when someone has paid your debt, someone has covered the fees that you incurred that you cannot pay there's there's still something on your end that has to accept that something on your end that has to has to see it for what it is and be grateful for what's taken place god has done everything come on somebody say everything everything god's done everything there's one thing left and it's yours and that's this moment where you see it for what it is where you see you for what you are, where you see him for who he is, where you see it for what it is, and you make a decision that, that starts here, moves to here, starts here, moves to here. But it, it, it begins, and there's this acknowledgement where you can say with your mouth and believe in your heart, Jesus is the Son of God. Not a baby in a manger. This dude grew up, and he said a bunch of stuff, and he did a bunch of stuff. And he calls us to commission, to do what he did in our generation, what he did in his. The Christian life is not monkhood. The Christian life is, is warfare. It's, it's all out. It's ultra marathon. It's distance running. It's special forces. It's I'm trying to find one for a woman. It's Black Friday shopping. I don't know, ladies. I'm sorry. I'm trying to think of something. It's... it's Watching all the kids and all the grandkids for 24 hours by yourself. I don't know. It's like going into a man's world and, and doing an awesome job. What I'm here to say is this. If you thought Christianity, and I don't even know what that word means anymore, but if you thought Christianity was where you just stopped doing all the fun stuff, life begins with Jesus. Life begins with Jesus. I went from wanting to make myself happy to walking in the blessings of God. And sometimes what, what is blessed doesn't make me happy. And sometimes what makes me happy ain't blessed. But in the end, I'm glad 
but I did it God's way. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? There's one decision. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, I pray that whether they're in this room or they're somewhere else, I pray if they're watching on Christmas Eve as a family, I pray that the words that are being spoken today would penetrate the hearts of those who hear. You love the world so much that you gave your son. I said, whoever, whosoever, that qualifies everyone, whosoever would believe, would call on your name, they'd be saved. And I pray for that. I pray for a very real, tangible touch of your spirit, whether this is heard 10 years from now, whether this is played at my funeral 40 years from now. God, I pray that everyone who hears this voice and these words know them to be true. And may they know he who is the way, he who is the truth, and he who is the life. Today, if you're here, you're like, Jim, I'm, I'm just not right with God. I know that feeling, but I also know something else. I know the feeling of coming before God with what separated my heart from him and saying, please take it away and feeling that burden lift off of me, feeling sins dissipate, dissolve, um, the consequences, the guilt, the shame disappear until I stand there like I never did the thing that I was so ashamed of 10 minutes ago. I'm free from it 10 minutes later. Why? Because God loves you and he's done everything in his power to get you to walk in his freedom now, here, in this place, in this hour, whatever place you're in, whatever hour it is, God's mercy is waiting for you right now. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Jim, I'm not right with God, but I want to be. I want to be. Will you pray for me? Before the service is over with, before this, this time is done, before we move on to what's next, can we stop right now? Jim, would you pray for me? I want to be right with God. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand in just a moment all over this room. I'm not right with God, but I want to be. Jim, would you pray for me before we leave? If that's you, raise up your hand right now. All over this room. All over this room. Yeah, God bless you. Yeah, God bless you. Yeah, God bless you. God bless you. Thank you, Father. Say this with me, church, right now, wherever you are. Now, if you're watching at home or you're around Grandma's table, maybe it's a good time to turn this off and start talking to God on your own. But if you don't know what to say, let me give you some words right now in this room. Say this with me right now. Jesus, I was wrong. And you were right. Everything I did pales in comparison to everything you've done for me because of love forgive me overpower me and my actions bury my past and birth my eternity I thank you for it one way or the other I'll see you soon you gave your life to Jesus this morning. Can I just say one last thing before we enjoy communion together? I would absolutely love to talk to you. People think I got into ministry for all the money and fame. It turns out God's just given me a special place in my heart for people that are, that are turning towards him. You don't know what to get me this year for Christmas? Bring me somebody you brought today that gave their life to Jesus. I, I we're even, forget birthdays and anniversaries. I just want to meet people that gave their life to Jesus today. I'll be back in that back room. There's no indoctrination. There's no tambourines. We don't shave your head until the third visit. Just kidding. We're going to serve communion. I'm going to invite the staff to come forward, and as they do,
that'll be serving us today. I want to encourage you. You say, I'm, I'm not a part of this church. I actually go to another church. Am I allowed to have communion? We don't recognize that church and that church and his church and their church and our old church and our new church. We recognize the church. There's only one. And if you believe in Jesus and he's in your heart, you're a part of it, very important, special part of it. So we welcome you to partake of communion with us today. If you're here today and you're like, ah, I just, I got a drug problem. My grandma drugged me to church. I, it's okay to pass. Like a matter of fact, you probably should. You should probably treat holy moments as holy and sacred moments as sacred and common moments as common. This is, this is not a common moment. This is a sacred moment. And if you don't want to participate, or you're just like, I, I'd participate. I just, I'm so mad, I'll never forgive. I'm so hurt, I'll never, I'll, I'd never, whatever that is that's separating you and God, and you're not ready to give it up. Let, let this pass. Get that right. And once that's right, we'll celebrate communion again soon. But today, if things are good between you and Jesus, what he's done is activated in your life and is more powerful than what you've done, and you're ready to remember the common union, the cup, if he's been so, so good to you, you want to celebrate this with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Can we all stand to our feet, please? And the staff is prepared to serve you. And how you get up here and back is completely up to you. We may have a diagram, but let's face it, it doesn't help at all. It's, it's like driving on the wrong side of the road in Australia. I think I want to see that. So when you're ready, they're going to lead us in the song again. And, and uh, please come and enjoy. And go back to your seats. Stand sits up to you and we'll partake together.